Well, I want to um, start off with scripture. And this is a very familiar scripture, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, there are people who've probably never even cracked a Bible open and they know this story more or less. It's, it's incredibly familiar story. The Good Samaritan and the paradox is that the Jews did not think the Samaritans were good at all. Uh, I have a commentary that calls it the Helpful Samaritan, which is probably a better way to, to get onto it. Um, were they good? Ugh. Were they helpful? Sometimes. Might have been the prevailing attitude at the time. But let me read this. And you've heard it so many times, so try, try to hear it afresh, if you don't mind. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and your strength, which is from Deuteronomy. And then he couples with it, love your neighbor as yourself, which is from Leviticus. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. <clears throat> okay, love God, love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I've got a little video about loving your neighbor. Let's look at that. I'm doing it for your best friend, who already survived cancer twice, but is now immunocompromised, because I have that friend too. I'm doing it for your child, who already has respiratory problems. I've got one of those too. And I'm doing it for your grandmother, because I'd want you to do it for mine because I want to see her hold her great-granddaughter at least one more time this summer. She's named after her. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. I'll be honest, sometimes it's really complicated to know what that means or what it looks like. This is not one of those times. This is easy. This is obvious. This is clear. Stay home if you can. Wash your hands when you can. Pray like God is listening, because he is. Love your neighbor. Okay. 
so um, I, this week I showed that video uh, to somebody and I said what do you think and uh, she said I like it I said I uh, think I should play it on Sunday morning she says I don't know it's a little controversial and I said yes it is controversial loving your neighbor has always been controversial that's the point Jesus is trying to make even 2,000 years ago this was controversial loving your neighbor especially when your neighbor isn't very neighborly especially when your neighbor is at best wrong and at worst your enemy it's controversial to show mercy to those who seem to be against us these Samaritans were at best wrong and at worst occasionally our enemies notice that in the video it said that sometimes it's hard to understand just what you have to do in order to love your neighbor but sometimes it's easy to understand what you're supposed to do okay I would add to that that even when it's easy to understand it's still hard to do okay like losing weight it's easy to understand right eat less exercise more right it's easy to understand right eat less bad food eat more good food right it's easy to understand but the chili cheese tater tots at Sonic they're so good and why does everything bad taste so good huh and exercise I did that last week and I'm tired this week and so it's easy to understand it's hard to do like saving money right spend less than you earn why is that so simple and so hard to do so love your neighbor show mercy we get that it's hard to do sometimes mm -hmm. now in the Good Samaritan story. It says, who is my neighbor? The one who showed mercy. Ugh. Right? The one who showed mercy. Now, this, picking this scripture uh, might seem like a really strange scripture to read in order to talk about eternal life. Um which is uh, our topic for today. We're finishing up our sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. And today, uh, I'm going to talk about that last line, I believe in life eternal or life everlasting, as it's sometimes translated. So let's just say that I believe in life everlasting. What? I believe in life everlasting. Now, when we say that line, if we slow down to even pay attention to it, I'm sure uh, that we easily latch on to that word everlasting, because that's what we're interested in, right? But think about how curious and interesting it is to say, I believe in life. I believe in life. Notice that it doesn't say, I believe in existence everlasting doesn't say I believe in spirituality 
doesn't even say, I believe in heaven. It says, I believe in life. Life. And this idea that God brings, not just when you die, you get to go to heaven, but that life is what God is trying to infuse the world with, that life is what God is all about. It's all in the scriptures from beginning to end. Even the 23rd Psalm, which we usually read at funerals, is actually about life. It's about this promise of rich life, even in the midst of horrible circumstances. And it's throughout the New Testament as well, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have life eternal. Right? John 6.27, Work for the food that endures to eternal life. What a curious phrase that is. got to do a whole sermon just on that. Work for the food that endures to eternal life life and then just metaphorically Jesus Jesus is about the things that bring life Jesus talks about being the bread of life Jesus talks about being the living water about being the good shepherd which protects us from evil and from death and from destruction that throughout the gospels the presence of God comes near and when God is in the neighborhood the hungry get fed the sick become healthy the crippled get to swing dance once again the spiritually stuck get unstuck the party goes on there's plenty of wine after all all these things that bring life and joy and happiness and future I think, I think maybe the illustration I've been thinking about uh, in a few days, August 15th is uh, VJ Day, Victory Over Japan, the end of World War II, the, the day the Japanese agreed to unconditionally surrender. And I think about my dad, I've probably told this before, my dad uh, was on a ship in the South Pacific in World War II, and he actually got to come home of a couple of months before the end of the war and a couple of months before the end of the war they didn't know it was just a couple of months they thought it was actually going to be another year or more and it was going to get really bad when they invaded Japan and there were still uh, Japanese submarines and planes sinking ships out in the Pacific and he was on a a seaplane a, a sea tender, which means he's on a ship that's full of aviation fuel, and he 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 said, I, "I knew just one torpedo, one well-placed bomb, and the whole ship would go up in an instant." And so it was pretty nerve-wracking coming back across the Pacific. There were still uh, big ships being sunk those last few weeks of the war, and and I never will forget. He said. He said, finally, they sailed into San Francisco Harbor, and, and there was this huge American flag draped from the Golden Gate Bridge. And he said, when we sailed under that flag, when we sailed under that bridge, he said, I finally allowed myself to believe that I had a future, that there was life ahead of me that there were things to do and to be and to get back and get off that ship and send a telegram to his young bride, my mother, and say, I'm coming home. There's future. Brenda's dad, I think, was a lot like that. He, he got uh, wounded 
badly in the invasion of the Philippines. He fell into a ditch. His friends around him were dead. They finally evacuated him. He was on a hospital ship and then a VA hospital for over a year. And, and there was just kind of a peace and a joy. I, you know, I would watch my father-in-law just, just slice a tomato and he's so happy. A future that maybe you didn't think you would get. Maybe in some circumstances, you didn't think you deserved. Why they didn't get it, why did I? I don't know, I don't understand how this works, but, but I have life and future. And I think if you can think of the biblical promise of life like that, that here and now the, the power of Christ comes and, and suddenly everything's different. That's the apostle Paul, he sees the risen Christ and just everything goes from bitterness and anger and death to, to life and joy and future and promise and, and mercy and grace and all those good words. But it is eternal. Right? I mean, what happens to you when you die? This is not just a theoretical question. This is something real. What's going to happen to us? What about those I love and they're gone? Is it just over? Is it like turning off the TV? Or are they okay? And so this, this hope that we live in, that this is part of the story, not the end of the story. I've, I've found that, that when I'm planning funerals for families that are very immersed in the faith, they're not nearly as shy about talking about death. We can talk about death because we understand that death is not the power that we think it is, that God's grace, God's gift of life, it seeds, overcomes even death itself. Now that brings me, strangely enough, to the scripture, Luke chapter 10. This expert in the law, which is uh, a biblical scholar, a biblical expert, he comes to Jesus, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a really interesting question. What must I do to inherit or be guaranteed eternal life? So then Jesus answers the question with a question. Okay, this is a good rabbinic way of doing a biblical discussion. He says, uh, how, how do you read the scripture? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. That's part of the Shema of uh, Deuteronomy, and then he couples with it from Leviticus, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, that's right. That's the right answer. Do this and you will live. What? That's it. It's that simple? Do this and you will live? But then he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And, you know, we do that all the time. Okay, that's Dear Abby all over, right? What's the minimal amount of love I have to express and not be a bad person, right? I mean, that's really what he's asking. Who is my neighbor? No, what's, what's the minimal amount of mercy that I can show and, 
and not be a bad person. What's, what's the minimal amount of hospitality I have to extend? What's, what's the minimal sort of gift-giving exchange? Do I really have to give a gift? Do I really have to keep talking to this person that I don't like? Do I have to go to this family gathering? Do, what's the minimal amount of goodness that I have to express? And of course, we struggle with it, right? So he asks that question, and Jesus tells a story. Again, he's being a good rabbi. He tells stories. And he says, who in this story is the neighbor? And the Bible expert says, the one who shows mercy. And Jesus says, you're right again. You got it. So what's the problem here? The, the Bible expert asks two questions. Jesus gets him to answer the two questions himself. He gets the answer right both times. Okay? So what's the problem? The problem is that he has the knowledge, but he's not living the knowledge. The problem is he knows he's his Bible, and he knows what he's supposed to do. He knows that he's supposed to live a life of love and mercy. And he knows that God's mercy and grace is not just for the insiders. He has the knowledge in his head, but he lacks the love in his heart to live it and to be fully alive. There's a part, his head is full of his knowledge. His heart is stone cold in some way. And that's, that's what the New Testament kind of talks about in different ways all the time. That, that being alive and being dead isn't, isn't a medical condition. That, that you can be alive in your body and dead on the inside. And you can be approaching the grave and be so alive with God that that transcends the grave itself. The wages of sin is death, Paul says. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. This guy knows his Bible. He's not living his Bible. Now, it would be easy to be judgmental about this guy. It would be easy to look down on this guy who does not embrace the kind of love and mercy that God wants him to embrace. But who am I to judge? How many times have I not practiced what I preach? Huh? Or failed to act even when I knew what to do? How many times did I pass by on the other side? Easy to understand. Not always easy to do. I could segue and get all preachy about how not wearing masks and how that's not about you and it's not about your comfort level it's about showing love and mercy and but I don't always wear my mask and that's because I'm, I'm an exception to the rule okay it's different for me right I could get all preachy about truth telling and politics I could get all preach you about corporate greed and how it creates so much injustice. I could talk about our own self-denial about racism. 
And all those things do need to be talked about. But as one whom Jesus has marked and claimed and died for, I have to begin any of those conversations with my own repentance. With my own honest confession. My own honest need of life that I can't manufacture on my own and so I depend upon God to give me a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. The one who shows mercy, he says, now go and do likewise. I was reading Fred Craddock's commentary on Luke and he said that Jesus doesn't sell patent medicine, he writes prescriptions. Does that make sense? Jesus doesn't sell patent medicine. In other words, it's not one size fits all, but he writes prescriptions for, for specific people and specific needs. For the rich guy who sounds like a pretty good guy, but he's struggling with greed, Jesus says, go and sell everything and that'll get your heart in the right place. For Martha who does and does and does and task-oriented and task-oriented, you need to sit and listen. And to this guy who knows his Bible but can't seem to live it, go and do likewise and maybe that's the question we ask ourselves where where is the deathly part of my heart where is that part of my heart that I can't seem to give to life you know my dad he could have gone home he didn't have to embrace this chance that was given to him he could have gone home in bitterness or anger or whatever but he knew he had a chance given to him and he was going to live it what's that part that I'm not living what's that part that I am not embracing where do I need to fall on my knees and confess my sin so that I don't keep passing by and so it's that it's that honesty and knowing that we need the cross, we need forgiveness, we need grace, we need mercy that allows us to stand up and say, I believe in life eternal because it's, it's, it's not owed me. It's this amazing gift that's been given to me. So we come with humble hearts and we embrace this gift that's been given to us. I believe. I claim the promise of eternity and hope that changes everything. Someone said that what you believe about death determines what you believe about life. And if we believe that there is something bigger and huger going on, then there's so much to be hopeful about. There's much to grieve, for example, in this pandemic world. But we grieve as those who have hope. There's lots of endings going on in this pandemic world. But we live life in the hope of new beginnings. There's much to be afraid of, but we're not going to be in bondage to fear because we live in the hope of a God who's more powerful than any destructive force. It doesn't always sound easy. Sometimes it's not, and that's why we need grace and mercy in the Holy Spirit. But we believe in life everlasting. Amen.